Beware, spoiler phobes. You've divined a storm of spoilers. That's better, isn't it? A podcast about Harry Potter and the Cursed Childs Part 1 and 2 in consort with the wizarding world of J.K. Rowling. This conversation can expand to cover any of the pre-existing Harry Potter books, interviews, special events, popular fan theories, West End theatrical productions, Pottermore features, potion classes, horcruxes, time-turners, foggerts, and hide-behinds. The Magical Congress and the Ministry of Magic are currently unaware of our whereabouts. Keep twiddling those dials. The next password will be Mad-Eye. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Now we're all settled in and sorted, I'd like to make an announcement. This castle will not only be your home, but home to some very special guests as well. You see, Hogwarts has been chosen to host a legendary event. Let me be clear, if chosen, you stand alone. And trust me when I say, these contests are not for the faint-hearted. Hello, and welcome to a storm of spoilers off-season. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and I have read all the books in J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. I'm Joanna Robinson, and I've also read every book in J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. I think that's accurate. And I'm Neil Miller, and I have not read any of the books in J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. And even though I consider Brand, uh, Harry Potter to basically be the Bran Stark of his own story, I endorse this topic for this episode. <laughs> In case this is your first episode of Storm of Spoilers, which is possible because this is the first one that is on a different topic that is not Game of Thrones, you should know this off-season uh, will be a little bit different. Each week we'll be going to a different fictional land and investigating uh, something there. Uh, this week we'll be going to Hogwarts to check out Harry Potter and the Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2. Their plays currently in previews in London and will be published as a playbook on July 31st. So everything on here will be spoilers pertaining to that play. We have a plot summary from the Daily Beast. We have our knowledge of the Harry Potter universe. That's going to be how we're going to progress this week. At the end of the show and in the show notes, you'll see a time code for a preview for next week. uh, And we'll sort of tease that at the end of the show. But... We are Storm of Spoilers, and we were initially a Game of Thrones, so we can keep sending ravens back to our Citadel of Crazy, where apparently we've left some Hodor-like individual in charge. Uh, So each week we're going to check in on some Game of Thrones news. Neil, do we got anything this week? Got a couple little things that we can go over for Game of Thrones. Uh, One is the news that Season 7 was is going to be delayed in production. They're not going to start production until later in the fall uh, instead of starting over the summer as they have in past years. And most of this is just weather-related. The winter, obviously, is here, so they need wintry weather uh, so that they don't end up spending $100 million on uh, snow and sky effects for next year, I suppose. And um, the other thing I found was that they continue to uh, put out casting calls for a lot of uh, teens and children. And there was a story this week of uh, some acting academy in, I believe, Yorkshire. Yeah. That uh, is some of their students are auditioning for Game of Thrones. So really with that, the only thing I can read into that, which there's these are 
just kind of generic kid parts is that uh, we may get some more flashbacks next year, some more brand vision. I will say, since we're allowed to just sort of wildly speculate on this podcast based on the photos of the of the young women from yafta yorkshire academy film whatever uh is um they look like they might be little cersei's to me uh one of them's very cersei yeah they're both blonde they're not none of them look like any of the starks that we've met uh so they they could be a cersei and you know a little older than the cersei that we saw in the flashback two seasons ago um and so yeah if we were going to get some stuff with younger jamie younger cersei younger Tyrion, that that might be fun and interesting to see so yeah uh, and I thought it would be fun to do maybe one user re- listener question, um, Game of Thrones related, since we're still getting a lot of questions. And this one hopefully will be quick. This comes from at Mark Schmitz with a Z. Uh, really just asking what was the what's going to happen with Euron and what was the point of introducing him last season? Which is interesting because he sort of fell off the map after he started to build his thousand ships. Right. So what do we think? Right. Such a good question. I mean, I don't think he was just there. He was there just to give Yara and Theon a reason to scurry across the sea. Um, I think we're just going to, he's a seed that's planted that we're going to see blossom next year. Would be my guess. Yeah. And a couple ideas that we've thrown out is one that he would go to King's Landing and sort of ally with Cersei and even the odds a little bit. Uh, or even before that, that he might attack uh, Daenerys at all on the open sea, and that might as well even the odds a little bit. Um, I um, I also like the idea. Somebody sent this in, um, and uh, apologies for not remembering who it was. It's been a long day. Uh, is that Euron is starts sacking cities as he's building his ships, and and one of the cities that he sacks is Old Town, and maybe we get a convergence of a couple of characters we know, Euron, Sam, Gilly, and maybe even Ser Jorah, who has to come back, right, Joanna? A hundred percent. And when, but, (laughs) you know, it would be a great tragedy for Jorah to never come back. And Ian Glenn, I think, has said that as far as he knows, he's coming back. But, um, but maybe an even bigger tragedy would be for Sam to get to the library, the Citadel and only be there for like a week before it gets sacked by your own gray joy. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, the font of knowledge I've always dreamed of. And then it gets burned. That would be, there'd be some real thrones. Yeah. Story sure would. There. Cool. So that's all we have for game of Thrones this week. Not a whole lot. We imagine, uh, toward the fall we're gonna get a lot of stuff so we'll keep we'll keep you up on the up and up yeah there might be a book suddenly you never know hey now i don't want to get everybody's hopes up there will be a book about our next subject harry potter and the cursed child except it'll be a play i have some friends uh who are already a little worried because they work at bookstores around here that people are going to get their hopes up for a big harry potter release like the first seven books, uh, because this has been billed as the eighth installment in the Harry Potter uh, saga, and instead we'll be getting this play, which I don't know if people just grow up knowing how to read plays, uh, and if so, I'm positive that not a lot of people have uh, you know, exercised their critical muscles in what makes a play different 
than a book. And this play is going to be very divisive, I feel, when it's released. Well, so yeah, before we get into the actual spoilers, I did want to talk about the nature of spoilers around this particular piece of art. A friend of mine is going, has tickets to go see the play in London. I'm very jealous of her. Um, and she was surprised that I had quote unquote spoiled myself by reading the summary on, uh, the Daily Beast of someone who had gone to see previews and wrote down everything they saw and, and put it up. Um, but I told her, I was like, listen, if there, if, if I had tickets to the play or the book that was coming out was an actual book, I would wait to ingest it that way. But since I'm not going to see the play, probably, until it's like broadcast on NT Live next year sometime, uh, and, and since the book is just going to be a script and I know what it's like to read a play script, I've done it, you know, I did it all my theater kid life, and that's just not the same immersive experience as reading a J.K. Rowling book. And so I, I was just like, I'm fine with reading this Daily Beast description. I mean, you know, generally, we all know my spoiler policy is pretty lax anyway, but in this particular case, there wasn't like a more enriching um, piece of art waiting for me. I felt like um, so. And I think yeah. Yeah, it'd be like it'd be like reading a Game of Thrones scripts yeah. from Weiss and Benioff instead of reading you know a book or instead of waiting um, to see the show, which I, wouldn't make sense. Right. right. And then the, it's it, the weird thing that we're going to do here is sort of work on a description. So I want to couch all future criticism in that this is. Something I will totally be going to those bookstores that I've been inquiring to uh, to get at midnight and would love to see if I ever get the chance by any method. Uh, but there's some pretty big uh, like Harry Potter lore here and it is being discussed as a continuation and J.K. Rowling has signed off on it and endorsed it. Um, so I, I think that definitely as we push through the Potter era of the Wizarding World into the Fantastic Beasts era later this year. Um, my relationship with this whole franchise is going to evolve. So I think I think we're going to have a lot of feelings. I think we're going to have a lot of discussions about uh, textual references or movie references. Um, but I don't think we're going to be able to pass critical judgment because we are working off a summary. We're all, we all read the same summary, and then I've at least been... Uh, like on Reddit threads and stuff while it was happening, kind of getting true and false things thrown at me and participating in that community. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be our unique Storm of Spoilers ride. We know nothing about false spoilers. We've never been suckered by false spoilers so far. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And it's a play, and it's in previews, which means until the published thing comes out, it could completely change from these initial preview screenings where, you know, like an owl got loose in the first one of part one. And like, obviously that's not going to happen every night. So uh, again, these are rough edges and summaries. Yeah. But I mean, plays get changed all the time in previews. That's true. But I would say at this point, since they're going to be selling it as if it were an eighth book, almost that, that manuscript is done and dusted a while ago, like the printed bound version that they're going to sell in terms of the way the publishing world works, you know? Yes. And to be clear, J.K. Rowling did not write all of this. She contributed, but this is not, she did not entirely create this, right? From what I understand, and we'll talk, I got some quotes queued up for later. Uh, she do, she didn't actually write any of the play. Right, but right. It was more like a collaboration on where the story was going to go. Right, but the she's like, was she's pitched to her, to her initially. Right, and she can be like, no. 
Draco Draco would never do that. Like that that's more her input as far as I can tell. Is like she would say, Yeah, these these are what the characters these this is a line a character would never cross, but in terms of like dictating all the actions that was up to these other writers. So anyway. Enough caveats probably. Well, maybe. You can never have enough caveats on a storm of spoilers, we've learned. <laughs> uh, but we're going to, you know, sort of take it uh, beat by beat uh, through this this summary. And that means that at any time we are getting too spoilery for you, you could feel free to skip ahead to the preview for next week. Uh, because this play is interesting in that it just keeps uh, throwing more things at you uh, as it goes on. It opens up. Basically, at the where right where the epilogue is also set, which is uh, Albus, the youngest uh, daughter of Harry and Ginny, is uh, going to Hogwarts for the first time. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, end with the uh, heartwarming speech about because the Sorting Hat takes her choice into account, he could be Gryffindor if he wants, and he he goes to Hogwarts and ends up getting sorted into Slytherin. Dun, dun, dun. We talked about this last week that you guys are both Ravenclaw, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, my Harry Potter sorting story is that I don't want to be Ravenclaw. So I, <laughs> I cheated the test so that I would be Hufflepuff. Uh, but what I, what I always say is since I cheated, that probably makes me a Slytherin. So I would say I'm probably a Slytherin at heart. Anyway, wow. sorry for that interruption. <laughs> well, I like you guys. Most Raven, not all Ravenclaws are insufferable, but the whole Ravenclaw motto. It, Wait, is that a thing? What? That Ravenclaws are insufferable? No, I think most people think they're not, and I tend to. Oh. In the books, not you guys or like other friends of mine who have been sorted into Ravenclaw, but I like the Hufflepuffs. So I find this fascinating. This is the most fascinating part of all the research that I did for. This. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, like the Curse of Child stuff is like dark and cool and whatever, but like learning this like weird fictional personality test was like my favorite part of the whole. <laughs> Well, and then that Dave and I are the same is just further uh, proof that we're awesome. Yeah. Have you done your Ilvermorny test yet, Joanna? No, I haven't. Oh, that's a mystery, too. Well, see, we don't know what that means, but, like, is there a character that turned you off to all Ravenclaws from the books? No. I mean, bro and a Ravenclaw, maybe. Um, but also, I mean, what Cedric and Cho are Ravenclaw, right? Um, and they're fine. I don't. It's just that. I, and Luna, it, Luna loved. I love Luna. It's the attitude of it's like I love learning and I love books and I love all of that. But it, it it pings to me that that kind of nerd who's like, oh, I'm such a nerd. Like I hate that. That drives me crazy, dude. And I don't know if it makes any sense to anyone else in the world. But I'm like. Uh, it's this weird, like, self-deprecating but boastful thing about liking to learn. And I'm like, probably all houses have people who like to learn. So I can be a Hufflepuff who are, like, humble and will make you cookies and like to learn at the same time. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. I There's something, like, it's like, I don't know. It's like honor roll students. Like, I could be on the honor roll, but I wouldn't have a bumper sticker about it, I guess. Does that make sense? Nope. Okay. I mean, I guess. (laughs) You don't want to be boastful about your geekdom. You just want to do it in silence. Yeah, I just want to geek and not talk about it. Or talk to, you know, you guys about it. But anyway, sorry. 
No, so I want to geek all the time. I mean, like, <laughs> I was kind of into the Horcrux search, even though it was a long part, part of the book. So I'm like, yeah, let's find more information about these things. Uh, I do want to correct that Cedric Diggory is in Hufflepuff. Oh, thank you. Sorry. We'll be talking more about Cedric later on. So I thought that jump right in there. Also because Robert Pattinson, therefore, is default in the Hufflepuff, or at least his visions is. No, I just rewatched um, Dave's recommendation, and, and maybe if you want to press pause on this and go do this homework, you can, but his recommendation to us is that we rewatch Goblet of Fire, which I did do uh, last night. Uh, that's a great movie. So, anyway. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It was one of my favorite books, but I, I can't tell because I was really close to the series at that time if that was like... If it's actually my favorite book of the seven series. But I remember uh, the process of reading it was super fun. Azkaban is my favorite movie, and that's a very unpopular opinion. But it's mine. Okay. Mm, I think I'm okay with that, actually. I can see Azkaban. It has a, it has a bold visual statement. Yeah. Anyway, the point anyway. being... <laughs> we're dealing with another generation of Potters. The youngest one, sorted into Slytherin ends up befriending Scorpius Malfoy by sitting next to him in the trolley, a la how Harry, Hermione, and Ron met, um, which sort of perplexes uh, the the parents who uh, thought that that, uh, Alba should, you know, be more friends with Rose uh, uh, Weasley, I guess would be your last name. Granger Weasley. Granger Weasley. Yes, of course, it's got to be hyphenated, obviously. (laughs) Um... uh, uh, so we end up at our first year. Uh, Rose gets sorted into uh, Gryffindor, by the way, I think, which is uh, fitting. But we end up sort of at the end of our first year with uh, the the Potter uh, Weasleys uh, sort of feeling, pushing their son away, I guess, emotionally, uh, because uh, he's been a Slytherin and they're under some stress at the Ministry of Magic where I guess Harry isn't, like, good at paperwork uh, when he's out uh, working at the uh, as an Auror. Um, uh, this new, uh, like, future that we get a glimpse into, Hermione is the Minister of Magic. Um, there are, like, faint uh, hints that Voldemort might be around, but uh, Voldemort is the topic of much conversation because there's a rumor that Draco's son, Scorpius, is actually Voldemort's son uh, because um, who, who Draco's wife would have used a time-turner to go back in time to impregnate herself with Voldemort's seed, implying at least for this first act while you're watching the play, this first act of a two-part play, uh, that maybe Scorpius is the cursed child or Albus is the cursed child, which is sort of how they end up developing a friendship uh, as we jump through about their first four years before I think we get to the inciting incident that sort of drives this all up the wall. So you're but, so you're saying there's there's a question of parentage in this uh, in this story. This is so Thronesy, right? Oh yeah. Or not only that, but I think there could also be thematically something with cursed children, and maybe depending on what part of the narrative you're focusing on. You could put a lot of people in that. There might even be a prophecy later on. What? The, Dude, this... prophecies are great. <laughs> That's true. And then I wish we knew like slightly more about it, but at this point, the cursed child is sort of up for grabs. I'm interested in this uh, like sort of 
I don't know. We sort of uh, we as the we jump forward in years and we get an idea of where all these characters are. Uh, we're jumping through all our familiar uh, sets. They've just been updated. So McGonagall is the take is uh, the head headmistress of Hogwarts, and we get to see a sorting ceremony, and we get to see the the train to Hogwarts, and I think a lot of this is establishing the look of this world on stage. So I think a lot of things that end up happening that maybe may not seem as uh, like deviations from the, where you think the book would go or plot holes. Uh, the first question I ask myself now when I have those feelings is, is this because it is intended to be a stage play that is like Harry Potter? So like if I'm going to go to Harry Potter's Wizarding World in Florida and I go on the ride, I'm not going to be worried about the canonical importance of the ride's like layout because I'm on, I'm on a ride. I'm on a thrill ride. Is, it, is, is anybody else getting like the whiff of that off of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? No, not necessarily. I think it's more, I mean, the, the train and, and the Hogwarts, cere- the sorting hat ceremony and all of that. I mean, that's something that, with the exception, I think, of the last book, right, that they would do every single book. This is like a comforting rhythm of the Harry Potter books is that every single year, you know, like supplies need to be gotten, whether or not they actually go to Diagon Alley or not. Um you know, sorting hat ceremonies need to take place. They need to get to Hogwarts. There are some few exceptions, but you know, there, there will be a Quidditch game. There will be, you know, these are like the, the comforting rhythm of the Harry Potter universe that, that, you know, eventually goes off the rails. But, um, I like that this, uh, play has, you know, that Quidditch is important and like, you know, that's, you have to have that for it to be a Harry Potter story. I feel like, and I love, I really do love this take of setting it the next generation. I think a lot of people hated that epilogue in the last book, but um, I don't want Harry at the ministry. I don't want that story. That's part of this story, but I want Hogwarts. Like Hogwarts, as, as Neil said, if Harry is the brand of his own story, then it's like Hogwarts, yeah. uh, Hogwarts is the like Jamie Lannister. Like Hogwarts is, Hogwarts is the dragons. Like Hogwarts is the thing I want is this fun, cool, magical school environment. And so the fact that we're starting all over again with these new kids is, it's, it's less saved by the bell new class and more just like, you know, us, us having what we want from a Harry Potter story. Yeah, it felt very Harry Potter. I was like, oh shit, they're on that train again. Like, that's a thing that they do in Harry Potter. From from my non knowledge my <laughs> non book reader perspective, I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. They're always on that damn train. I mean, I guess the reason it felt more cyclical to me is because if this is the eighth story and we're returning to a pattern that you know, it seemed like we maybe moved beyond. Uh, I mean, I could see on one hand having to reestablish a status quo for this universe and showing the older characters, but like, you know, they won. So Hogwarts is still as magical and mystical as it was when Harry got to go, except it like, doesn't ring true to Albus. That makes sense to me. I'm just, uh, um, I, there was a part of me when I heard that we were going to continue the story that I thought it would more be a continuation or something completely different. This sort of like hybrid of two different things. Um, 
I guess, sort of had me uneasy uh, as I was seeing these things uh, roll in on on the Reddit thread from people who were tweeting in Portuguese. It was a complex couple of evenings there. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of weeks ago. I have a... I have a question. Yeah. So you guys are talking about like the continue the expectation of the continuation of the story. So let's refresh for me. Uh, the end of the story is uh, Voldemort is killed, right? Yes. Uh, yes. By uh, what's his name? Well, Harry. does Harry kill him, or does that other kid kill him? Neville. Neville Longbottom, that guy, Neville... the one who's attractive now. <laughs> Neville does the thing that helps Harry kill Voldemort. Oh, okay, all right. So it's been a while since I watched. Yeah. I watched the fourth movie this week, but this, that last one, who knows? Um, okay, so what's the what was kind of the expected continuation of the story before we before you guys got into the cursed child like where does that go from there well it's it's so interesting to me like i don't want to make this podcast three hours long but it it tops (laughs) it it tops into something i'm always curious about which is like high school set to say tv shows and what do you do when your characters graduate and so many shows with that like i would say even buffy was my favorite show like it was never the same once they left high school they have a really hard time leaving that in that environment and so there is one possibility of the future of the harry potter franchise even though jk rowling said there would be no more harry potters uh she was half true thing or whatever but that the future of the harry potter franchise would be harry and hermione and ron as grown-ups but is that as interesting and magical to children, these grown-ass adults running around and fighting people, as, you know, getting on a train and going to Hogwarts and eating chocolate right. frogs and taking your owls, Harry, you know? Harry's job in this, uh, in Cursed Child, he's, it sounds very boring. He's like the head of Master of Laws. So, like, he's like the chief of magic police. Yeah. That's boring as shit. And, like, his problem is... Uh, he's not good at paperwork. Like that's like the worst cop show of all time. <laughs> right. Whereas Albus, I mean, we'll get into this more as Dave lays out the plot, but Albus is having like the kind of adventures Harry used to have, which is like time traveling scrapes. And um, so, yeah, I think this was the best way to go, uh, which is, you know, a soft reboot, if you want to call it that. I was looking for something more that was capping it off, which I would assume would deal with, either Harry's death or whether or not he could die at all is what I always assumed. So you thought this would be like the, the end, but I think this is just opening it up to be more. Don't you think? I mean, it it could go either way, which is going to be interesting. By the time we get to the end of this podcast, you're not going to have a definitive answer. I think either way in five hours from now, five hours from now, when we finish, you'll see that I feel like it's very much (laughs) pointing us towards future installments. Well, like, here's the question. If it is all one thing, or if just the books were separate from the play, is there an overarching theme we can apply to, like, the thing? Is the Harry Potter universe about blank? And if so, does this, like, play apply to it? Which I think maybe we can investigate later on, because it's certainly not about twists. And we have some twists coming up. Here we go. Although it seems to be about time travel. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Neil went right where I was leading. The time turners are back. All right. (laughs) Wait, so here's a question. (laughs) If we're going to get into the time travel stuff. Yeah. 
I don't remember a lot of time travel from the original Harry Potter movies. It's in, like I know that there's there's like he looks he puts his face in the pool of whatever and uh he can see the past like when he sees like Voldemort as a kid. The pensive, I think is what mm-hmm. you're thinking about. Whatever uh, it's called, yeah. Um, um, but I don't remember there's not like, in like as- this has like time travel yeah in azkaban which as i said is my favorite one um hermione like time turners are not a thing that they're supposed to use and hermione is gifted one so that so that true nerd style she could take more classes so hermione is using a time turner so she can double up on her workload uh but then later they use it to you know save a hippogriff or whatever like they use it a little bit at the end it's never to this extent because and and they get into this in the daily beast summary and we'll get into it more i guess but like uh, the time turners of old had a very specific limited range and the time turners in this story are expanding the range is that right dave well i mean a little bit the time turners that uh, the time turner that hermione had was based on how many turns you did so it was like a turn per minute or some uh, thing you would like in order to do some of the stuff they do in this play, like stood there and turned it like a thousand times, but (laughs) it would technically work. Uh, But then at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, supposedly all the time turners are destroyed um, after, you know, uh, it's Dumbledore successfully sends them back to save the hippogriff and the day. Um, So at this point, all time turners are destroyed. And J.K. Rowling said that she, you know, did that because she sort of regretted opening that door uh, to allow time travel into her her magic uh, series. And so ever since then, it's been, you know, pensive flashbacks were were the way to go. And all plotting was straightforward. That really came back to bite her with this one. Well, they just like blew it wide open. They're like, you know, those. (laughs) they're like, oh, (laughs) yeah. You regret that? Here, we'll make you really regret You know it. those limits you put on your magical universe? Fuck those. Here we go. Dave, take it away. <laughs> okay, so uh, the reason that there's this rumor out there that, you know, Voldemort might have been able to use a time turner to have Scorpius, which doesn't work out if you think about, like, ages or anything, or the fact there are no time turners, sort of, you know, becomes... a more a present threat because apparently the Slytherin old Slytherin buddies have been messing around with time turners. One gets arrested with a like non gold plated time turner, uh, that Harry takes to the ministry of magic and they try to like keep it quiet and hush it up because they don't want to, uh, spread any rumors about there being a child of Voldemort around, especially now that Harry's scar has started hurting. Uh, but somehow, uh, Amos Diggory, the father of Cedric Diggory, who died at the Triwizard Tournament, uh, figures out that there's a time-turner, or just guesses from hearing rumors, and goes to Harry to ask Harry to use it to go back and save his son. Uh, At this point, Albus is not getting along with his father. Uh, They're not at odds. Uh, Harry, or they're they're still at odds. Harry wants him to make more friends, and Albus is pretty pretty much just happy with Scorpius. Uh, He's eavesdropping, and he hears this thing, and he's sort of like mad at his father, and sort of uh, is shifts the blame for Cedric's death, like Amos is and his uh, grieving, over to his dad. Uh, so, uh, 
Amos's niece Delphi is also there and uh, eavesdropping with with Albus. And together they sort of decide to tell Scorpius that the three of them are going to get together, make a good old Wizarding World trio, uh, steal the Time Turner using some polyjuice potion, and go back and save Cedric Diggory by making sure he does not win the Triwizard Tournament during the events of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And uh, that's a good pivoting point. A lot happened in that little chunk of plot. Uh, yeah. I have a question. Yes. This is probably going to be a point of speculation, but if, if Cedric Diggory doesn't win the, the Triwizard Tournament, who does win? Harry. Well, Harry actually would just win by himself, theoretically, because in the last event, they decided to amicably tie, and they both touched the port key at the same time, which is what oh, that's right. okay. got Cedric pulled in front of Voldemort's, which got him killed. So the theory is you could change just that Harry would still make it through the hedge maze and everything else would go according to plan according to Voldemort's plan which is that Harry die like um and, and so then what happens next and you know we'll go into this but basically in order to watch this player read this book you have to do what Dave had us do which is refresh yourself on Goblet of Fire because the plot will then interact with Goblet of Fire as if like I don't know if you guys seen the play Noises Off. This is the third act of Noises Off. You have to have seen the first two acts in order to understand all the interactions that are taking place. Or like, or like trying to watch Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead without knowing Hamlet. Like you, you can understand it, you can follow it, but it really helps to remember quite well the events of the Triwizard Tournament because uh, they'll be dipping in and out of it. Is that accurate? For sure. Yeah. I mean, but first, uh, there's apparently some really cool stuff uh, with them breaking into the Ministry of Magic, and Hermione has, like, an enchanted bookcase, and it, like, eats them if they do spells wrong. Uh, that's not in the description, but apparently, like, some really cool stage stuff. And then the way they do uh, polyjuicing is they're all wearing, like, uh, Hogwarts robes, and they're, like, standing over a trap door or something, and the kid will go down while the adult actor comes up through the, the head the headpiece of the rope. That's so, cool. Uh, yeah, I really want to see that happen, uh, just because there is a lot of polyjuicing as we go through, and if they manage to, you know, do that seamlessly over and over again, it's got to be, like, magic on the stage, man. Maybe you're <laughs> distracted from the fact that time turners are introduced back into the story. It's like that time they tried to do a Spider-Man play and they made him fly, but like this one would work. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't actually yeah. in- injure the uh, the actors. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I-, I will say that the polyjuice potion sequence breaking into the Ministry of Magic that happens in the last book slash movies is some of my favorite bits of Harry Potter. Like the actors they got to play... The, you know, well, Helen Bottom Carter being one, but like the actors, they got to play the grown up versions that people had to polyjuice into, uh, such an amazing job. So, yeah. And there's more polyjuicing in part two. So I'm interested to, I mean, uh, it's really interesting to do this as a live piece with actual actors and have them, you know, give those nuanced performances in that type of setting where you don't have the benefit of like, you know, using facial tics necessarily or uh, things that the movies got to do. 
I'm jealous of everybody that gets to see this. In case I didn't say that, I should have said uh, that before we we, we went in. Well, but. no, it's like like believe me, like like you should have believed me about Hamilton. This will be broadcast. Uh, you know, it won't be the same maybe as being in the room, but like this is going to go on NT Live or something similar, and we will all be able to see it through Fathom Events in movie theaters. I would guess sometime next year. I mean, probably it'll go to Broadway first, so maybe it'll take like two years, but we'll get it, man coming all right all right uh back to the play uh so they go back to the triwizard tournament and let's see where's the first task they go back to it's like the Uh, mer people one right the gilly i think that's the second one because that leads us into the the second one uh so this would be oh they take his wand away during the dragon uh battle oh so he can't call his broom so he can't call his broom. And so they manage to... Which seems like a very dangerous thing to do. It does. Right? But, I mean, he's in Hogwarts, so, like, how dead can he be, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Dave. How dead can he be? <laughs> I mean, at this point, you know, you could get some broken bones. You could, you know, have... Unless you don't die instantly, you could... That's the one thing I picked up from the movie. Like, they, they did a good job of selling, like... Hey, once you're in this tournament, you're on your own and you're probably gonna die. Yeah, no, maybe you just And would I was die. like, oh shit. When I read that in the in the Curse of Child thing, I was like, wait, like how does he not just die? Because he's fighting a dragon. Right. And then the weird thing is uh, they get snapped back into uh reality into their current time period because it turns out that this time turner has a 5 minute limit. Um but when they come back, things have been altered slightly as this is closed loop time travel. And <laughs> Cedric is uh, still dead. Not Maybe through the dragon. Maybe I don't I, We don't know through the summary, but maybe that is, mm-hmm. you know, no, no, because he has to continue on the thing. So things haven't changed. Voldemort still killed Cedric. Assuming time travel works in some sort of logical fashion. I, it that's uh, maybe he just got uh you know burned a little bit by the dragon and didn't didn't get the egg in time or figured out some other spell either way things haven't worked uh fully in the sense that Cedric is still alive but things have changed in the sense that like Ron and Hermione aren't married anymore Hermione isn't minister of magic she works at Hogwarts they've definitely like messed with uh something my uh, someone I fo- someone who follows me on Twitter and I forget who I think it's a Star Wars spoilers listener. She's like, please talk about that Hermione Granger, Granger Mary Bailey bullshit because <laughs> um, <laughs> in It's a Wonderful Life, right? Mary Bailey goes from like you know a loving mother to like spinster librarian. Uh, so the fact that like Hermione Granger, I feel like no matter what happened, Hermione Granger would be motherfucking minister of mag- magic, and I don't see her being. Uh, just a teacher at Hogwarts ever. Yeah, I mean, she's pretty boss. Yeah. In, like, as a kid, yeah. she was pretty boss. She's boss no matter what. So, like, her relationship with Ron, I could take or leave, but, like, her achieving greatness, that was going to happen. So, anyway, that's that's all I'll say about that. Well, we Mary, have- Mary Bailey bullshit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ron married Padma Patil, for those people who care, and Albus is in Gryffindor instead of being in Slytherin. But that isn't really helping things with Harry. Uh, so 
I guess things are not still not working out into no matter what house Albus is in and whatever alternate reality. Anyway, it just kind of sucks as a dad through most of this. Yep. Yeah, he does. I think that's the theme. I mean, the theme to me is that like Harry had all these struggles in his books, uh, being childless, not having his family. This is like a big marker for him. And Albus at the same time, like is just, distance from his family he's isolated from his family and so it's sort of finding your own way in the world um and then reconnect you know like and then harry reconnects with his family basically by the end of the books in in terms of ghostiness and uh you know albus i mean spoiler but like you know the, the potter family gets some healing through whatever it is albus learns about himself and harry learns about himself in this play right would you say yes but i mean like the inciting incident which i skipped over we should definitely go back because uh, when <laughs> harry's worried that albus isn't having oh no we're stuck in a time loop yeah, yeah i know already uh, the I guess not the inciting incident for the play, but the thing that sort of sets off this Harry Potter is a bad father dynamic is he tries to, you know, connect with Albus uh, when he says Albus needs more friends and tries to give him his mother's blanket and they like get in a fight and Harry says that sometimes he wishes that Albus wasn't his son, which sounds like, you know, sort of a call and response when other people describe it. Like, I wish you weren't my dad. I w- sometimes I wish you weren't my son. But when I first read that, I'm like, that's not Harry Potter. Who signed Especially up Especially not on over that? a blanket. Well, who is like, who, what sort of like crazy victim of child abuse that was kept under a staircase ever says that to, to a child, <laughs> right? Like he's a crazy orphan, a yeah. victim of child abuse. Yeah, yes. Unless the th- unless the theme is that he's so damaged that he can't help but damage his own child. Well, what's what's weird is that Albus is like not his only child, and so like the fact that he has an older son and the the summary that we've seen, like first of all, the older brother is like barely mentioned in the summary, <laughs> and secondly, like his relationship with with uh, Harry is not really like we don't have any perspective. Like, is the older brother a golden boy because he's in Gryffindor, and so then Harry has no problem with him, or like what you know? The older brother is James. Yeah, yeah, James Potter. Okay. Apparently, there he's like a. Um... But I'm like right a that sort he's... of a sort of Weasley Weasley twins like comic relief sort of pops in and out. But in I'm the right. Scenes. I'm right that he's like barely in the summary, right? Like correct. He's barely oh, yeah. in the play, from what yeah. I understand. Yeah, which is weird. Like it's weird if we're exploring Harry Potter's dynamic as a father. It's weird that uh, you know, like his relationship with James is not really. Don't think about that other kid. He's fine. Yeah, <laughs> he's a Gryffindor. It's fine. He plays Quidditch. He's great. All right, moving yeah. on. Uh, yeah, moving on indeed. They decide to go back and try to fix things again. Instead, so they go back to the second task of the Triwizard Tournament and engorge Cedric so he can't dive into the lake, which seems to work, except when their time minute, their time limit's over, only Scorpius, uh, comes up from the, the lake at Hogwarts and Umbridge is there to yell at him, uh, and tells him he's going to ruin Voldemort day. And that is the end of part one of uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> there's there's no Albus. Voldemort's alive. Uh, and Umbridge is the headmistress of Hogwarts. Uh, the interior of the playhouse is actually dressed differently depending on when you come in, depending on which part of the play you're going to see. And there's sort of like a new updated dark mark 
that you could get on all the merchandising and is projected on the theater columns. And uh, so depending on whether you see it day one or day two, you're either going to see uh, what what is it like? Uh, but like a twig snitch or or a new dark mark seems to be the t- the two like emblems. A t- twig snitch. Yeah, like a oh thing oh the nest. I thought that was a nest, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like well, but it also looks like it's a snitch. Does it? Okay, I'm gonna look at it no. again. All right. <laughs> All right. Twig twig snitch. Twig, twig snitch. snitch. I I just imagine that like there's like. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings where there's like the tree people, but they have like the one twig who keeps ratting them out. And he's oh, twig that snitch. dirty twig oh. snitch. All right. So I hope everyone who's listening is following as Dave is like masterfully plowing through the summary. Uh, if you're having any problems with that, uh, please do read the Daily Beast summary uh, to be on the same page as us. What If you haven't already. Yes. So what happens? You addicts. What happens, <laughs> what happens next, Dave? Uh, all right, so we start off part two, and Scorpius, you know, sets the role by asking a whole bunch of questions of Umbridge. First of all, uh, every time they're in like the Voldemort reality, supposedly all the like discussions between people ends when they like grab each other's wrists in the handshake and say for Voldemort and Valor. So Voldemort's completely taken everything over because Harry Potter was killed in the failed coup at the Battle of Hogwarts. And Scorpius is big um, at uh, Hogwarts. They call him the Scorpion King. He came up with the idea of uh, putting all the mudbloods in dungeons, uh, in the dungeons of Hogwarts, which everybody thinks is great. Uh, Outside in the wizarding world, they're like killing a bunch of humans, um apparently this is just a crazy dark world where they have this thing called the blood ball on voldemort day so it's like reverse triwizard tournament situation uh would be, i guess be the blood ball it's just it's like, like the darkest timeline version it's totally the darkest timeline version i bet everybody has uh goatees oh um, my god yes <laughs> <laughs> so okay. who are you gonna ask for help in this parallel timeline, but Severus Snape, who is still alive uh, with the end of the Battle of Hogwarts not happening. And is totally chill because he was playing both sides the whole time. This this is like an interesting spoiler that I'm like, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are going to try to protect themselves from spoilers for this. But like, I'm just interested that the news that there is someone playing Snape in this play has not like gotten out, you know, like all the other casting was, you know, very poured over. So the fact that they're hiding this Snape actor is pretty interesting, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it has and other characters like on everybody's like program. Like I don't think the cast list has been very helpful in terms of spoilers, but the, the Snape coming back's big. And again, uh, touching on a place, going back to, you know, the Harry Potter canon and a place where I wanted them to maybe stretch forward or pick another character that had something to do with something. This would have been like a good place to expand to maybe on the, the, you know, I don't know, some other family that we that we cared about. But if we're going to have Snape, because it makes for some good emotional storytelling later on, might as well have Snape. It's certainly good that Neil's right. He was able to be a successful double agent in the sense that even in this reality, uh, he came out on the good end and alive this time. Uh, but then Scorpius tells him of the our reality 
and Snape realizes that he must be dead and reveals that he has been uh, in con- working with Hermione and Ron, who are wanted and working against uh, Voldemort. Uh, Scorpius tells them their, fu- their fates of this other reality. Snape realizes that he must be dead in the other world, and Hermione and Ron realize that they're, you know, it's worth risking the, uh, their safety, that this kid could be right and the world could be better. So they go, well, they all use the time turner to go back to the first task of the Triwizard Tournament again, the dragon task. And this time Hermione stops Albus from casting the spell that casts Cedric Diggory's wand away. So we're like, we're in back se- to the future inception. Two-ing. Oh yeah. Back to the future too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is the enchantment of the sea dance. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then, uh, um, Ron and Hermione get snapped back to the time Turner. Uh, this injures Ron because this is a violent process. When you like go back that far, you aren't supposed to mess with time, uh, which is bad news. Cause the Dementors show up, uh, Ron and Hermione sacrifice themselves uh, to the Dementors in what I hear is an extremely touching scene uh, so that Snape and um, Scorpius could get away because reality has still not been changed. They have to go back and uh, make sure the second task goes correctly. Uh, so Snape and Scorpius are running away, but they run across Umbridge who knows they've been with Hermione and that Hermione is wanted and does her typical Umbridge thing, says she's going to tell everybody. So uh, Snape kills her and uh, sort of uh, defends uh, Scorpius from the Dementors as Scorpius goes back to stop himself and Albus from casting the Engorge spell on Cedric. And so cut back to another present they come up from the lake, and Albus comes up this time, and things look like they're back to normal. And as far as we know, for this chunk of time traveling, they totally are back to normal. But the play's not over. This is just, they, you know, Harry, Ginny, Draco, and McGonagall show up, and they're like, what have you been doing? They're like, we used a time turner, but we're sorry. And Squirpus is like, I lost the time turner. And Albus is like, how how dare you, you know, uh, betray my trust and whatnot. But more or less, this, like, childhood time time travel adventure seems to be over. We just got this uh, really bizarro peek into a world where Harry Potter would be dead. Um, I don't think anything good was happening over there. But I am interested to see that they... A, found a way to give Snape a second dramatic death, and B, found a way to kill Ron and Hermione uh, in, like, a way that we would never get in the books, which I guess is the only thing I like about alternate reality storytelling uh, in this case. Uh, Yeah. Thoughts on time travel? I mean, it's, it's like, exceedingly complex, and I'm sure that, I mean, it's, like, hard enough for me to keep straight when reading maybe hard for people while they're listening but i have to imagine that that while you when you see the play um that there are enough just visual markers for you to be able to track everything the back to the future 2 analogy is really funny um 
that kind of stuff is always interesting to me, but it is, it is very naughty and complex, like Kanadi and, and complex. Like it's, especially since kids are going to go be going to see this for them to have to track every single reality and every single pass at the Triwizard tournament and all of that, you know? So I'll, I'm, I'm interested to see how well it goes over with them. I, I want to respect their intelligence and feel like they are all up for the task, but. Neil, you like time travel stories that also have wizards in them? <laughs> I just realized sure. I just realized that this is like so many things that Dave loves. So, yeah. <laughs> it's um well, it's interesting to what's most interesting to me is that so there's a very specific visual that I would assume the book's created, but definitely the movie's created of the Triwizard tournament. And so seeing them recreate parts of that on stage, I think would be really fascinating uh, to make it similar enough to like really register with people who maybe are like movie only Harry Potter fans. Cause I have a feeling there'll be a lot of those in the audience. So how do you make that? How do you make it so that they make that connection or is it a lot of exposition? Like, Hey, we're going back to the thing and this is what's happening. And, um, so I'm curious to see how that, that plays out when we get like the script version of it. Right. Can they, just, can they just show up at the, at the like lake trial or do they have to, like they did in the books and the original movie, like explain what the lake trial is so that mm-hmm. you can understand how they're messing with the lake trial. You know, that just right. seems like, like a lot unless of work. This, unless these plays are like nine hours long. Because then that would give them time to explain all this. Um, I was surprised, honestly, of how easily this was to follow, considering the the summary. Uh, I feel like I would be kind of lost in the room unless they do have like very clear visual cues. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of time jumping. It's a lot of time jumping. Yeah, it seems and, to behave by a certain amount of rules. But I gotta imagine if you're in the room, you're just like. There's all Hermione, and like that's what you're what you're latching right. onto. And the logistical question for me is how much time, like physical time, in the play is spent in like the darkest timeline, for instance. You know, and is this something that's like a rapid fire thing? Because as we're about to talk about, uh, I would imagine there's a lot that comes after this. So again, unless the play is like nine hours long. Um, this all hap- would have to happen relatively quickly. Right. I mean, I think it's... Uh, each play is about two hours. Each half is about two hours and 30 minutes. So I think mm-hmm. you're looking at at least like a original series Star Trek episode amount of t- like space to talk about time travel. Or on if we want to talk about times that this works really well, a fringe-length area of time travel. Oh, all right. Now that makes more sense to me. So it's like, here's the thing. Here's our rules. We're going to get in and get out and show you characters you love behaving strangely, but like, don't stop and think about it. And certainly don't read it in paragraph form or listen to it read on a podcast because that would make no sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I do like the idea that they're splitting it when they come back to the alternate reality of Voldemort being large and in charge and having one. That probably makes it more coherent. Yeah, I think that's a good cliffhanger. It caused a lot of panic. They held the previews, the first previews, uh, the Keep the Secrets previews, uh, two days apart. And that day in between 
was like, did they are they going to break the canon? Or are they going to go back and say that? <laughs> did they can- just break? All of the Harry Potter wizarding universe. Yeah, every it's everything after book four uh, happened differently. Are we going to have to live that again? Is that what part two is? I know Warner uh, Brothers would love to do that. Are you saying they flash? <laughs> did they flashpoint it? Okay. Um, yeah, there's another good one. That's a comic book. That's a reference, reference to a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> what happens next? <laughs> Oh, man, what doesn't happen next, right, guys? Uh, <laughs> all right, so it turns out Scorpius hadn't lost the time turner. He thinks that the Ministry of Magic can't be trusted with it. After all, they stole it from there, so they might as well go uh, destroy it. Uh, they go to. They decide to go to the Owlery, I believe. They're still at Hogwarts at this point. Um, Harry has a dream that uh albus is in trouble so they rush to hogwarts and the the beds are empty so we set up this parallel action that's going to happen for the rest of the play of the uh characters we like that are now parents uh looking for our two groups because albus and scorpius run across delphi amos diggers diggery's niece who uh, um, realizes that they have the time turner and instead of helping them destroy it, uh, she grabs their wands and breaks it. And we realize that she's descendant. uh, She was an orphan that was raised by the Rowell family, which is a death eater family, which Scorpius knows being a Malfoy all of this, I assume, comes out in dialogue and much clearer than what I'm saying. But the reveal that Delphi is bad uh, and that has the time tra- the time turner is that movement. Meanwhile, the adults uh, are trying to figure out where the kids are. Um, Ron saw Albus with uh, Delphi Diggory recently, so they go to Amos Diggory, who reveals that he never had a niece. And now we're like, uh, yeah. And this is where it all gets knocked into 12th gear. (laughs) That's right. Uh, All right. Let's see. Um, Delphi takes them somewhere else. uh, Or maybe they're still in the Owlery. Either way, she's going to go back to the maze task of the Triwizard Tournament. Uh, where she's going to stop Cedric from winning and humiliate him, which it turns out is what actually happened uh, to like set off the 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 death of Harry Potter, because Cedric was so humiliated that he gave up on his Hufflepuff nature and became evil and became the person that killed Neville Longbottom, keeping Neville from destroying the last Horcrux leading to the death of Harry Potter. So if you thought we were going to go to only two of the three Triwizard Tournament challenges, <laughs> you were wrong. Uh, so yeah, they go back. Things happen that are sort of unclear to me through this summary, but apparently Delphi is uh, wanting to bring about a new era of Voldemort, and a prophecy says that an unseen child must act and she is sure this is Albus. So this is another cursed child prophecy that for the life of me, I can't find anybody f- who like r- wrote it down verbatim. So we're going to have to wait for the script book to come out about you know debating what this prophecy means to the, the greater whole. But uh, either, either way, 
it, it that's why she claims that she needs uh, Albus and Scorpius with her as she goes back. So they go back, and she's monologue villain monologuing at Albus about how his weakness is the same of his father's. When Cedric Diggory happens across this and think it's part thinks it's part of the Triwizard task, so he disables her. Um, and it looks like maybe things are going to be fine, except that Delphi like pulls out the time turner and they all like get time traveled back to some indeterminate spot, uh, that they don't initially don't know where, where they're in. Um, meanwhile, back in adult land, they go to investigate Delphi's room and find, uh, the details of the prophecy. This is where hopefully we'll figure out what it is. Um, some stuff concealed by parcel tongue code, including her plans that will bring her father back, which means that Voldemort is actually her father because that's her. Yeah. (laughs) The Voldemort had a daughter theory. Did you, we could pause here. (laughs) Did you, um, get the sense and maybe it's just because her name is Delphi which just sounds French but do you ever get the sense that she's like part Vila or I know she ha- she's like working with a love potion on Albus but she has this like influence over him that's partially love potion partially hormones I'm sure but like did you did I just invent this sort of Vila thing based on a Frenchy-esque name or no I think so she is most definitely the Bellatrix Voldemort okay. child. No, no, um, no Vila then. All right. No Vila. Interestingly enough, though, uh, there was a Reddit user who uh, came up with a theory that the cursed child is going to be a child between uh, Bellatrix and Voldemort a year ago. And the reasoning that this person used to get to it actually made me feel better about this, how this whole thing works timeline wise. I'm going to read an excerpt of that now. You ever notice how Bellatrix Lestrange is not there when Snape kills Dumbledore in the tower? In the book, anyway. Why wouldn't Voldemort's most dangerous lieutenant and Draco's aunt not be there? At the beginning of Half-Blood Prince, Bellatrix says something strange. If I had sons, I would be glad to give them up to the service of the Dark Lord. Notice how she said sons, not a son. In (laughs) Deathly Hallows, it says three times that Bellatrix talked to Voldemort as a lover, and her death is the only time Voldemort is upset at someone's death. My theory is that Bellatrix was pregnant at the beginning of Half-Blood Prince when they saw Snape with Voldemort's child. She is thinking of the future, and she says sons instead of son because she already has one on the way. She is missing from the battle because she is off giving birth to Voldemort's child. She changes how she speaks to him after uh, Order of the Phoenix, and Rowling even tells us how. And it's why Voldemort insists on Bellatrix getting rid of Nymphadora and keeping her family tree pruned. Therefore, I think the cursed child is Bellatrix's child with Voldemort. Damn, yo. So apparently the way they address each other changes in the Order of the Phoenix through the end of the series, uh, which is what that, you know, previous reference is uh, to them rowling even telling us how so is this something that she may be made up to have any plot line or is it something that's in the books apparently uh somewhere in the text there are gaps where bellatrix could be off having a little love child or maybe it's just that these two writers that wrote this play are just really good and they they saw an opening and were like yeah 
Bellatrix makes sense because of all these same things that that Redditor pointed out. We don't have official, official, official confirmation that Bellatrix is her mother, right? Like, that's that's very logical. I definitely thought Helena Bonham Carter and Ray Fiennes were doing it, but it's, like... Um, no, it's in the description. Oh, it's in the plot. Okay. Delphi explains to... Uh, I think she explains it to Harry at some point. Yeah, back when they all they all get to that. Bella, in, that Bellatrix is definitely her mom. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But basically, there's this whole rumor running through even part one that Voldemort had a child somehow, and the answer isn't that you know, uh, sort of like the second act as the adults are running around. Uh, Draco's obviously part of that because Scorpius is involved. And the second act uh, really sort of uh, redeems Draco Malfoy's character, where, you know, he might have known some things about Time Turners, he might have known some things about Voldemort, but he never became what, you know, everybody expects a Malfoy to be, which is basically like a, a, a cuckold to Voldemort himself. So I think that's why the whole debate about who's whose uh, mother and if Voldemort had you know which child that all sort of becomes uh, a smokescreen for this reveal that i think is supposed to vindicate both scorpius and malfoy without knowing the dialogue i don't know if it builds to that point but the pieces are definitely laying around so it could actually be a release and not necessarily so shocking uh to realize that uh delphi is you know voldemort's child it definitely excuses spending so much time with Delphi in part one and almost no time with Rose Granger Potter because she's, I guess she was the bad one. So I, I don't want Rose to be bad. If Delphi, if it need to be the girl who is bad, Delphi's totally fine with that. Make a new character. I guess that's what I was looking forward to. Being. Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Let's, <laughs> let's keep, let's keep plowing forward. All right. So, they wake. They realize that where they've been time turned to is October thirty first, nineteen eighty one, the day that Voldemort kills Harry's parents. Uh, Daphne heads off to Godric's Hollow to stop Voldemort from killing Harry's pair or casting the curse on Harry, which would bind his soul to him, creating another Horcrux and the one that eventually allows Voldemort to be vulnerable to Harry Potter. So back into time travel tomfoolery. Uh, but this time the time turner has been destroyed uh, in this last turn and it seems like everybody's stuck in the past. Meanwhile, in the future, um, they uh, are still looking for the kids. And as they're intercutting between the past and the future, and we're realizing Delphi's plan that uh, Albus and Scorpius are helpless to stop it, they realize that they could send a signal through Harry's baby blanket into the future. Wait, it's through the love potion. Through the love potion that is spilled on Harry's baby blanket in part one. But because Harry's baby blanket also exists in the past, something about the love potion in the future is going to bring out... Like, I, okay, I, don't, I don't know, but like if, you, if I were to take a blanket and coat parts of it with plastic and then m- spill radiation on it, and then wash it off, and then like put it under a black light. Would that like spell words or something? That's essentially what's going on. 
I've Get said sure. the, the blanket part was like, okay. <laughs> That's how I felt about the blanket part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they get sent a message from Albus and Scorpius, 311081, which in UK ordering is the correct date. And they know where Harry and uh, Scorpius are, which conveniently Draco reveals that there's another time turner. This one doesn't have a five minute limit. This one, it turns out, was a time turner that Draco was having made uh, by the guy who got arrested with what it turns out was just a flawed prototype time turner. So Deus Ex Machina comes in and allows the parents to go back with Deus Ex Blanket uh, and uh, help their children, uh, which involves a bunch of tomfoolery that I don't think we need to get into the... The, the details of, but at some point Harry tries to polymorph into Voldemort to convince Delphi to, you know, give up uh, her plot. It doesn't work. Real Voldemort shows up. Delphi's foiled, and Harry realizes that he has to watch his parents die in order to set history right, and the play goes through all of this, watching the characters watch Harry's parents die um, before they pop back to the present and everybody gets to have their, their family moment about, about what they learned. Um, I don't think I'm doing the ending justice because I don't think that reading these plot points beat by beat is really going to do any justice to what people who've seen it have said is a really emotional final act, uh, that apparently is emotional enough to skirt over, uh, a whole bunch of the same confrontation. It seems like over and over again, but if it's if it works in the right combination, it could be like a weird combination lock of climax. And I suppose at some point you want to see real Voldemort show up in a Harry Potter play, so you you also get that. Um, it, it's uh, I'm not exactly sure what question I want to ask, except is this somewhat a waste of the idea that Voldemort? had a child. Wait, remind me, does mm. Delphi die? I read the summary so long ago. Does Delphi die? I think she gets captured. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a waste at all. I feel like we're going to live to see Delphi menace them again, is my feeling on the subject. So that's why I feel like this is very much opening the door. Like, we now have Harry Jr. and Voldemort Jr. basically, like running around the same old landscape. So she's captured, but I don't think she's going to stay captured. So see, that's the, that's the interesting thing that we keep coming back to is that I don't, I don't think that they really are planning on continuing this. I mean, I think they could do. Okay. So you're saying that they are like leaving it open, like they take the bad guy to jail, you know, like, you know, everything status quo is restored Maybe Harry understands his son a little more. Maybe Albus understands what it's like to actually lose people. Uh, I, I mean... I just, I, to be honest, I mean, like like you said, it's really unfair to judge this play. I am, I'm, like, very intrigued by all the time-traveling interaction. Um, I'm, I'm delighted to, like, meet these characters. But... I don't buy Harry being such a crappy father to begin with. Um, even if his son was sorted into Slytherin, like it just doesn't scan for me at all. And so I'm just, I'm eager to see it in another format so that maybe they can sell me on that. 
um, concept. But that concept is integral to the whole play. Because like I said before, it's a mirror of hair, of Harry not having any parents to begin with. Um, but you know, as much as like a shit as James Potter was to Snape in school, like he was still a kindly, gently, gentle figure. So for Harry to turn to this crap, it's like, it's almost like Atticus Finch being a racist and goes, <laughs> go tell a watchman. It's like, it's like, it's not the future Harry that I, I feel like this particular story does not get me there. I feel like Albus would have to do a lot more than just be sorted into Slytherin and be friends with Scorpius before Harry would distance himself so much, you know? It just doesn't feel on brand. It does not. For Harry Potter. It does not. I get it. I get it. What? I don't really know Harry Potter that well, but I, I see what you're going you've, for. You've spent some movies with him. I am. That's why I call him the brand. <laughs> Can you you possibly see Dan Rad, uh, you know, doing this? I can't. I can't see it. Maybe this actor who's playing Harry Potter in the play. But, like, I just... Well, I mean, sure, I could see it. I don't know what I'm seeing, necessarily. Like, there's a way that (laughs) this is just uh, fifth book Harry Potter. Oh, that's right. I hated fifth book Harry Potter. Like, this isn't that far off. We've seen Harry make nonsensical interpersonal decisions before um to serve a plot so i I definitely think there's a way that i could accept this harry potter um being a version of harry potter i'm just not sure that he goes through enough to learn anything at the end from because his son's having all the adventures and learning all the learns he goes back and (laughs) watches something that he like already had to see and flashes in his adolescence over again I mean, the the thing is, uh, when Harry Potter was such a little shit in book five, which I hate, um, and also like even in, even in Goblet of Fire, when, uh, you know, Ron and Harry are enemies for, you know, 20 minutes, that stuff I can almost understand because of like hormones and being children. But being that way as an adult and as a father, just like that makes you really disappointed in how Harry Potter it's turned like, out. It's like what happened to him in between. Yeah. Like even the last book and then this play. Yeah. Something, it, it feels, it, it definitely does feel like a different vision of like where Harry Potter ends up emotionally. And like, why isn't Ginny being more helpful in all of this? You know what I mean? Like, Ginny's relationship seems to not matter at all to these kids. So. I don't know. Mm. Well, I mean, hopefully they don't even want her blanket. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> hopefully we get you know these adult scenes. Uh, right now, the way they're described is basically like adult scenes, but hopefully those actually involve moments that we act we want to see that are like the five hours is a long time to not have any growth. So you have to imagine there's something we're missing that we're going to be provided with when we see the playbook that's going to at least make us understand what the attempt was, was trying to be with, with Harry and Ginny. It, to me, it's like at the end, apparently he has this monologue about how he's scared of being a dad. He's scared of a bunch of stuff. The reason we know about this is because he's scared of pigeons. And that was like an interesting takeaway that a lot of fans were interested in. But if he is just somebody that has always had a legitimate reason to maybe be a crappy person and is surprising us by not being a crappy person, Maybe constantly being afraid in a situation where that's not an acceptable response makes you a crappy adult. And I just, I mean, still, I don't know. I still have to ask though, like, 
what happened with James? Like, why isn't the relationship with James so toxic? Like, I know that parents have different relationships with different children. And like, sometimes the younger children can be more difficult. Like I certainly was, but like it, you know, Albus, as he's being characterized in the play or the summary, I should say, he's not a bad kid. He's not like a crab or a goyle. He's, he's not, he hasn't turned out bad. He's just been sorted into the wrong house. And if Harry's like judging him based on that, that's, that's some rough stuff. At the worst, um, my instincts tell me that Albus is just kind of like a shy kid. Right. So there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. (laughs) That's like, like, it's like he's the Snape and Harry is the James. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it really does go to my theory that Harry Potter kind of sucks. <laughs> like the character, not not the the whole wizarding world. It's great, but like Harry Potter, the character just sort of stumbles through, and he only really wins because he's like the chosen one. But otherwise, he kind of sucks sometimes. Oh, right. for sure. I mean, I remember even my first read through, basically every book, I was like, "Why are you just not telling Dumbledore everything?" If I was Harry Potter. Every week, I'd be like, hey, Dumbledore, here's what happened to me this week. My head itched when somebody <laughs> said this. Um, you know, my friend is writing in this diary and acting really weird. It's like, it seems like, considering the guilt... He's the ultimate anti-Dave character. <laughs> He's withholding exactly. at all times. He's like, I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need to share information with people for any reason. Uh, and, like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see... The there's a big chunk of this play that's dealing with Albus by him not existing. Uh, and I wonder how that's playing. I mean, obviously, if you're just going to see one part, seeing part two is an interesting choice, but why not? Uh, part two, Albus is gone for like the first part, and then he comes back and he is sort of like remade important by this prophecy being brought up. But otherwise, part two is sort of like Malfoy apologist, whereas part one seems to be Albus Albus character setting. So I'm really interested to see how they treat the dynamic between those two best friends. I like the redemption of the Malfoys, but also, yeah, I did want to talk about this. I mean, it would not be a storm of spoilers if Joanna didn't get all social justice warrior. And if you (laughs) thought that Mary Bailey comment earlier was it, you were wrong. Because there are some indications, some underlying possibilities that Albus and Scorpius are, like, gay together and they don't know it yet. They love each other, but they don't know it yet. Um, And, you know, some of this is based on the years and years and years of Harry and Draco fan fiction that exists in the fandom. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Harry has a gay son and doesn't know how to deal with it, that's, you know, that's more interesting to me. And if, if being sorted in the quote unquote wrong house is like the X-Men metaphor for being gay, then like, okay, I'm kind of interested in that, you know? So. Oh, this makes more sense now. Right? It's like his son's sort of shy and tender and gets sorted into the wrong house. And so it, he's like, my son's too different. I can't handle it. Right, right. Whereas James, we could assume, James is just like, normal. Got sorted in the correct house. Chase, Got sorted in the correct house is, you know. Chasing Hogwarts skirts. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, that that sort of like overarching, you know, subtext is like a West End 
play like thing like the the long being british about something by talking around it feels like that that's it to me whereas i feel like the the books are definitely about coping with death and that's in this play but i'm really interested to see how this play is able to deal with the internal relationships of its characters uh, because I'm not sure that it is it is about death this time, which is why I'm hesitant to assume that it is an eighth an eighth volume. I mean, it's Harry's dealing with being a parent, and it sort of feels like it could be handing off to a new generation. But I don't feel like it's capping off the previous series. It's it's revisiting it. It's Jurassic World. It's not Jurassic Park three. Well, exactly. And I and I would go a step beyond and say it's introducing a new series, basically. Like, hopefully Rose has more to do in the next one. But, like, I really do feel like they're just opening the door for more. And, like, that they're definitely going to make these into movies when the when Data Radcliffe and Emma Watson and all of them are old enough to do it. Uh, you know, I was talking about this with, with David Ehrlich and Matt Patches when I was in New York. Like, there, I, I definitely see... Daniel Radcliffe, as, as cool a job as Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson are doing, uh, with their post Potter career, I definitely see them returning to a, an older Harry Potter franchise. I see that happening. Well, you know, you know how studios love those expanded universes. They sure do, my friend. So super into it. So I have to say, like, this is a creative way that, you know, to start it as a play is really cool. Like, they could have just done these as movies and we would all be rolling our eyes. But at least to do it as play introduces a lot of cool, as Dave described, stagecraft and, um, a magical experience for children. Um, I love theater that appeals to children. I think it's really, really brilliant. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see some version, some, some taped version of this someday. It's, it's pretty exciting. And, you know, for those of you who waited to listen to this until after you got your bound copy of the scripts, which a lot of you said you were going to do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear what everyone thinks about, they're probably really stage mad. directions. Yeah, no, they probably rage quit quit it on us. Like a, they're like they didn't even talk about the trolley monster. <laughs> Screw this podcast. Huh. <laughs> the trolley monster. Anyway, oh yeah, uh, the trolley lady's been a monster this whole time. But you'll you'll read about that in the plays for sure. Is she the one that hands out the candy? Mm-hmm. Okay, She's cool. Supposed to make sure people don't leave the train. Apparently, that's a whole sequence. Oh wow, that feels really J.K. Rowlingy. Like, I, I since I didn't get to write the Harry Potter encyclopedia, how am I going to tell people the trolley lady was always a monster meant to keep people on the train? But like a good monster. Well, I mean, like I don't think she's going to eat people, but she's got she's big got a monster job. hands and yeah, okay. Well, for better to catch little children running on the tops of trains, my dear. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we want to say about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? I liked uh, it. I, 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 I do not want this to be anything that Joanna described, even if she's right. I just like to be on record of that. Interesting eight part. I, I'm fine with it just being a play. I'll watch a film version of the play. I don't need it to be anything else. I'm, I'm uh, Fantastic Beast is showing me that but, I could go other way places in the wizarding world. I mean, but come on though, you have to admit that that's where it's going. Like it's, it's, Movie studios Buddy. are in love Buddy. with expanding. The, Warner Brothers was... Harry Potter 9 is coming, buddy. 
Just, just yeah, you like, gotta. Warner Brothers was so <laughs> distraught over the end of Harry Potter, just like HBO will be when Game of Thrones ends. Just like Li- just like Lionsgate was like, oh, Hunger Games, please don't end. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you have to admit that that. It, it, Joanna's got a good point that it feels like the opening of a new realm of Harry Potter, like in the next chapter of Harry Potter. Um, but I do like that. It's super dark. Yes. <laughs> like I never thought of Harry Potter. I guess it is. There are plenty of very dark things, but this is like, it ends with like a dude watching his family get killed. And the, the, the thing that he already knew, but like watching it with his whole new family And the thing that stuck out to me is like all the times that the person who wrote this summary, uh, one, missed periods. Come on. (laughs) Copy editor. Uh, Two is like all the times there's like, and it ends with Harry uh, on the ground crying. It's like, whoa, that is dark. So I'm I'm interested to see how how it plays through performance. Um, And really the magic part of it for me is what, doesn't translate well to the stage so i imagine there's going to be some very innovative stuff going on yeah interesting stagecraft yeah if you've seen harry potter and the cursed childs parts one or two and would like to yell at us please do we're at storm spoilers at gmail yeah or help us fill in the gaps yeah and then unless you are listening to this in the future and we're all reading the book together in which case yeah like i said you probably you probably rage quit I think that's a pretty good peek at this play that we're going to get uh, a look at. What what do we what do we be doing next week now that we're uh I guess letting Joanna just raid whatever house she wants while we hang out in the Ravenclaw common room for a week. Ba-da-da-da-da. Is that the answer to your question? <laughs> that is the answer to your question. We're going to be doing Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah. I I have a legitimate question for you guys. What do you want to talk about besides the new movie by Paul Feig, which comes out this weekend. Um, when it comes to when it comes to the Ghostbusters franchise. Oh, um, you know, I know that Dave is very familiar with the expanded universe of like books and the various animated series. Um, as I mentioned on the Fighting the War Room Mothership podcast, I played the Ghostbusters game on my Apple II GS. Um, I don't know. I I don't know that I feel like deeply about Ghostbusters lore, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say, Dave. Neil, what questions do you have? Um, I I mean, I I'm mostly curious and this is going into seeing the movie, uh which I'll do later this week is is how much of the background mythology makes it into the new film because and i know dave was just reading through like tobin's spirit guide and all the the cool books that are out um that's one of the things that's kind of cool about ghostbusters is they're really it's not quite star wars but there is quite a bit of expanded material and there's quite a bit of different properties and they don't all line up. Like you can't take like extreme ghostbusters, the cartoon and be like, well, how does this make sense with the movies? Um, but I do think there's a lot of cool mythology there and it, it does seem at least from the trailers that the new movie wants to get into that stuff. So I think that's uh, that'll be interesting for me is for sure. to pick Dave's brain on that. I guess if you guys want to do some expanded reading based on that, what I'm going to suggest to you guys and our listeners is obviously the three Ghostbuster films would be a good place to start. 
Um, if you want to check out a few issues of the Ghostbusters IDW comic book, you could. Uh, there's been two volumes. I, I would say do volume one. But what I would definitely do just for shits and giggles, is go on YouTube and check out some clips of the Ghostbusters video game, which was written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd and has the whole cast coming back to do voices. That's considered basically Ghostbusters 3 as far as the old canon goes. Uh, but, like, my big question... As far going- as Ghost Bros are concerned. <laughs> exactly. My big question uh, going into seeing Ghostbusters and especially going into our Star Wars spoilers visit to that territory... Manhattan, whatever, busting, wherever we decide to make our busting castle, um, is what makes a Ghostbusters movie. It's not as broad as some other things. I think there's some specific beats, and now that we're going to see like sort of a refresh on it, uh, I think that's going to really help distill across all these different mediums what makes a you know an action comedy different from a Ghostbusters movie. I mean, it's stop. certainly not broads. That's for sure. That <laughs> well, I guess we don't know bunch yet. Of dames. <laughs> that would have been funnier if I had said it right after you said the word broad. Um, <laughs> e- <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, slime, ecto packs, um, brown jumpsuits. Some sort of nefarious force trying to open a portal to the <laughs> uh, uh, New York New York uh, government officials being uh, assholes, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> woefully underprepared. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. That's a good thing to think on. Should yeah, people this, send us, should people send us any questions they have uh, either before they see the movie or after? I will definitely do my best to answer any questions that we get, uh, with the, the stuff that I know. Okay. Right. And we can also, if you guys have questions after seeing the movie, send those to us, stormospoilers at gmail.com. Uh, especially about, we, we heard, uh, kind of this week that there is, Amy Pascal really wants this to be an expanded thing. Like they, it's not a one-off. So the idea of how sequels could come together could be a fun talking point. Yeah. So if you guys have theories, stay through the you credits. Guys remember theories. And then email us. Yeah, we'll do some theory stuff. Okay. <laughs> I was saying stay through the credits for Ghostbusters, but you should also stay through these credits because you've made it this far. Why not? Uh, Joanna, where could people find more of your work on the internet now that you're, you're back? You're back online. Oh, hey guys, I'm back. Uh, uh, you can find me on manyfair.com. I'll be going to Comic-Con next week, uh, after we record Ghostbusters, but I'll be in Comic-Con next week, so you can, uh, follow along there for all your Daniel Radcliffe video needs. Um, that's a reference to last year, probably not this year. But Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them will have a panel there. Okay. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And Neil? Um, you can. I'm not going to Comic Con, but I will, I'll be writing about it uh, over at filmschoolrejects.com, where I write stuff. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rejects. And also, don't forget to follow us at Storm of Spoilers. Uh, we'll obviously be reposting all of Joanna's uh, Comic Con coverage and anything else that we decide to write about. Uh, ghostbusters or harry potter or you know whatever for sure i'm dave gonzalez my first name is da7e that's how i spell it it's also i I say it dave the seven sounds like a v it's a long story it's also my twitter handle all right for latino-review.com and (laughs) geek.com like neil was saying we're going to be retweeting some of our work i'm also not going to comic-con but i'm guessing all three of us 
might have some shit to say about Star Wars, considering Star Wars celebrations this weekend. What? So uh, maybe maybe that might be good to listen, pay attention to for a future podcast, too. You never know. Storm of Spoilers, we're on the off-season tour. Things are getting crazy. Thanks so much for getting enchanted with us this weekend. Uh, next weekend. Uh, next week, Bustin' makes us feel good. If it's something strange...